Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys. Today's episode is brought to you by Live Right, publisher of The Red Car, the new novel by Marcy Dermansky. It's a delightful novel. I read it. I loved it. I'm sincere about this. I'm not just saying this because they're sponsoring the episode. I'm saying this because I mean it. The Red Car is a terrific novel. I recommend it. It is a short novel. You can read it in a sitting or two. That's always nice. But at the same time, it packs a punch. Just because it's short doesn't mean it's lacking anything is what I'm saying. Uh, there's a lot of uh, sexiness to this book. It's a sexy book. It's also sad and heartfelt. It's also funny. It's, a, it's all the things you want from great literature. It's called The Red Car. It's by Marcy Dermansky. It's a novel available now from Live Right. It's a book. You can read it. Go and get it. Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Dude, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Hey, right, everybody, here we right. go again. This is it. This is Other People. My name is Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. How's it going? Welcome to the program. I appreciate this. I appreciate you listening. My guest today is Jade Chang. Her debut novel is called The Wangs vs. The World. It's available now from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And uh, you might have seen Jade last week on Late Night with Seth Myers. She was on that program. She made an appearance. It was very exciting. And now she's here. Jade Chang, just a moment. Uh, she and I will be in conversation. So uh, one announcement before we get started. This podcast now has a Patreon account. I opened one this week. I have a weird plan. I don't know if it'll come to fruition, but I thought I would give it a shot. I have been thinking a lot in this past week. Uh, in the aftermath of the election, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but it's been an exhausting week. Uh, my, you know, my, my kid has been sick. My son has had the croup. I don't know if you're a parent and your child has ever had the croup keeps you up all night. So I haven't been sleeping. I've been reading too much news, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. I could get into those weeds. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to front load this episode with that kind of talk. I did it all last week and uh, I may have more to say in the future, but this week, we're just going to do a show. So anyway, I've been thinking a lot about this program. I've been thinking a lot about life in general, my contribution to the greater good. Um, I've been thinking a lot and I opened a Patreon account with the idea that if I could get an operating budget, 
a monthly operating budget. Um, I would go back to doing two shows a week and I could do live events and I could also experiment a little bit and travel a bit and go out on the road, you know, buy some mobile microphones, get out on the road and, uh, have some adventures and record them and then share them with you on this program. And I don't know exactly what it would look like. You know, I haven't really fully fleshed out how that, uh, those traveling episodes would work, whether they would, you know, they would involve investigative journalism or just like man on the street, fish out of water stuff, or, you know, I'm sure I would make up a lot of it as I went. But if you're a regular listener of this program and you want to send me out on the road, if you want two episodes a week instead of one, uh, if you're somebody who listens every week and you haven't supported the show before, I hope you'll throw a few bucks in the hat every month. And you can do that over at Patreon. That's, uh, you know, patreon.com slash other PPL pod, or you can just go to the show's website. If you just go to other PPL.com, there's a, you know, there's a button over on the left sidebar. Just click on support the podcast and it'll take you to the Patreon page. It's very easy. It's safe. It's a uh, secure. And if you do that, if I can get to my goal, then we're on, I'll go back to two episodes a week. I'll, I'll set up a live event. I'll get that cooking. And then I will also figure out, uh, how to get on the road and have some adventures. See what happens. You know, it's like uh, things, things have gotten weird. Have they not? And, uh, what's the old saying from Hunter Thompson when, when the going, you know, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. So I want to turn pro is what I'm telling you. Help me turn pro at Patreon. All right. Thank you. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest today is Jade Chang. Her debut novel, The Wangs vs. the World, is uh, critically acclaimed and climbing the charts. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jade Chang. You know, I gotta say, when it comes to the zodiac, I'm very narcissistic because I really only know about my own sign. Okay. So, do you know? Yeah, because some people are really deep into that. Oh this yeah, is, I don't. Not you. No. Are you superstitious? <sighs> sort of. Not. I I have like little weird superstitions of my own. I'd like say. what? Oh, um, some of them have to do with. I, I actually I don't do this anymore, but I used to. When I looked at the clock, and it's probably because we don't really have clocks anymore, but right. when I looked at the clock and it was on 13, 
I would, um, like a digital clock, you mean? Or yeah, just yeah, any yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Like a digital clock. Um, I would like continue to look at it until it turned to 14. You wouldn't stop looking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it only takes a minute or less, right? but, <laughs> but still that can be a long minute sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, why? Just because 13 is unlucky. You're like, yeah. I, I need to, I need to see this through. I need to get I, this through. I, I need to make sure that as a world, we are going to be able to move on to 14. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm fixated on the number nine. Really? But yeah. To the point where I'll see it in weird things. I'll, uh-huh. if, if like the number three and six are near each other, I'll be yeah. like, okay, that's good. Cause that adds up to nine. Oh, see, I feel like that about the number 14. Okay. Like if things add up to 14, then I feel like, okay, good. So 14 is your lucky number. No, I don't, you know, I, not, I really don't want to play favorites when it comes to numbers. You're not, but I think it really is your favorite. <laughs> maybe, you, maybe. It's the one you think about don't the most. Don't tell the other number. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where are you from? I am from here. You're from Pretty home. much. I grew up in LA. Born and raised. No. We, my family moved here when I was nine. Oh. So San Fernando Valley, okay. Northridge. So you moved here from where? Uh, so I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And then... A Midwestern girl. Yeah. Yeah. Although I never really spent any time there. Uh, my family moved to Florida when I was under a year old. Did your parents go to Ohio State? They did. Okay. They did. They went to grad school there. All right. Mm-hmm. What do they do? I don't think they finished. Oh. I'm not sure. I should probably ask them. Uh, what do they do? Mm, they do all sorts of things. <laughs> Mostly my dad does sort of computer related things. Okay. And but they're not like academics or no, Okay. no, definitely not academics. My mom at some point got, got a degree in nuclear medicine. She has not put that to use, but what is, what is nuclear I medicine? I don't know. She has, she's never explained it satisfactorily. But I either. mean, that seems odd, like getting a degree in poetry mm-hmm. or creative writing or something, and then never doing something with it. Right. That's one thing. Getting a degree in something as intense as nuclear medicine. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a very specific thing. And it also seems very specialized. Like it seems like right. there would be a demand. Like how'd for you it. choose that? Well, and also like there would be a demand for it. Right. Like, like the world needs people who understand nuclear medicine. Nuclear doctors. Um, I think she, she's also very health conscious. So I think she probably at some point decided that she didn't want to be around nuclear energy. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So what do you mean? Very health conscious. She's an exerciser. She's uh, she eats right. Uh, no, she just she just knows a lot of things about um, various effects of particular foods that you could eat. <laughs> For example, I'm kind of like that. Are you? I'm sort of obsessive about reading about. How do you I, feel about manuka honey right now? Oh, I'm not that deep. I don't oh. know what is manuka oh, honey. Oh, Brad, <laughs> just you wait. What is it? I'll have, I'll have my mom tell you. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it works miracles. It comes in different grades. Um, it's a kind of honey. It's a kind of honey. It's harvested a certain way. I don't know what it is that makes it Manuka honey. Okay. But something about it, special bees, something (laughs) very well educated bees who all have degrees in nuclear medicine. Uh, yeah, I don't know why it's Manuka, but, um, they sell it at the store. Yeah. 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 Whole foods and stuff. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But it's... Because I've heard that, what is it, like mesquite honey doesn't coagulate or whatever. Like it stays... Uh... All honey, does like all kind of pure honey stays but the same that... way forever. Like, you know, there's that story of them finding like a 
five thousand year old jar of honey in in a in a Egyptian tomb. I feel like oh, but so, like but that. doesn't some honey like get all crystallized and, and is I that think fake honey? That's, it might have uh, sugar water added to it, or oh. also I think that's if the jar isn't airtight. Oh, okay, yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> I was like, I want to get the good honey. Yeah, but it sounds like the... it's called Maduka. Manuka, M-A-N-U-K-A. And what are what are the benefits of this? Um, it is supposed to ward off illness. I think it it, it has antioxidant properties. Um, I th- it's it's one of those things you can put it on wounds. Wow. Yeah. See, this is the sort oh, of so thing it's like really I, good for you. I'm very susceptible to this. I will uh-huh. get Manuka honey. I promise you. I will. I'm not even kidding. I, I will mean, get I'm it. all for it. I yeah. think you should. I was going to say, did this uh, uh-huh. health consciousness of your mother rub off on you? Because I feel like uh, mm-hmm. the children of, of uh, parents who are very health conscious, who are maybe teetotalers. Yeah. Sometimes those kids can go in the other oh, direction. Oh, like a total rebellion. I'll just eat anything. Yeah. Like, you know, my, my mom and dad were vegans and like, I'm going to eat, I'm a carnivore and, you know, cigarette smoker, whatever it is. And right. like, where, where do you fall? No, I'm pretty healthy. Okay. I'd say, I, th- I think I had a lot of years. I was very lucky for a lot of years where I could eat like anything and not really you know, have to worry about it. It's called youth, you know, it's called youth. (laughs) I know. And then at a certain point I was like, Oh, things are a lot better. If I'm, you know, if I'm like more aware, I think that I have this theory that, you know, artists, I guess people in general, maybe are getting Mm -hmm. healthier where we have. No, I think that's true. Cause we know it. And I think the other thing is that we think about our bodies as, as actual things more. You know, I'm, how do I explain that? Like, I, th- I think that, um, I think people used to be very divorced from their own bodies, you know, in the same way that like doctors wouldn't tell you if you had cancer, they'd whisper it to your husband or wife or something like that. Yeah. You know, we're, doctors we're... also used to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and give you lollipops. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny because I think of like Saturday night live. Yeah. I think you can track the progress of humanity just based on the way that <laughs> the cast of Saturday night live treats itself. Oh, that is interesting. Like, so you have like the Belushi, right, like right, they're right. on cocaine. Everyone's yeah. drunk. I mean like, so now is it all just like soul cycle and green juice? It, feels, for, like, it kind every... of feels that way. It feels a lot saner. It feels yeah. like they, and I feel like artists, like, I mean, I've talked to a lot of writers. So mm-hmm. just to use that as a particular subset, yeah, there are some who, you know, are live harder than others or whatever, right. or take better care of themselves than others. But on the whole, I think mm-hmm. most of the people I talk to on this show mm-hmm. take pretty good care of themselves mm-hmm. or at least are conscious of it in, in a way that leads to action somewhat right. regularly. Right. You know, that's, that, that seems somewhat new. I feel like millennials are very tuned into food. Yeah. Well, because I think once you start thinking about how each particular thing you eat actually affects your body, it becomes much more enticing to like eat well, Yeah. except I will say also that I am pretty convinced that having one or two beers the next day I wake up with like fantastic skin. That's why I drink a glass of or two of wine. Every really? Time. Yeah. The wine doesn't do that for me, but, but beer does. Yeah. Yeah. Gives you fantastic yes. skin. I've heard avocados do that. I think they do. That's That's why. But, I, but that's more, you know, more expected. <laughs> right. Yeah. We expect avocados to do good things yeah. for us, but beer, what is it about beer? I don't know. 
And what, what does Menduka know, honey works. do for your skin? Something good, Something probably. Something good. Okay. Yeah. So you're okay. We got we got sidetracked. You were born in Columbus, Ohio. Your parents yes. were in graduate school there. Yes. It sounds like you come from brainy people, people who casually get degrees in nuclear <laughs> medicine, and then. They're, my parents are very smart. They're very smart. That is true. Okay, and mm-hmm. then you go to Florida. Mm-hmm. Where in Florida? Gainesville, Florida. So northern Florida. We were there until I was five. My parents ran a Chinese restaurant back in that era of uh, like Polynesian Chinese restaurants when there were poo poo platters. Okay, kind of like remember poo poo yeah, platters. Yeah, wow. It was called Joy Loy. My dad bartended. Um, was it so that they found the restaurant or they just ran it? No, I, a relative owned it and they ran it. What is a poo poo platter, by the way? It's it's like it it always comes with that kind of sterno that like flaming sterno so it kind of smells weird and then there's little compartments of of different I can't even remember what they were but like different treats you know and okay. then and then there's always um like uh skewers of teriyaki chicken right and maybe pineapple on it okay right. and i always thought of those as the poo poo <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. That's since the way I've, I saw it as since a kid. I've seen such a platter. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're gonna they're gonna make an ironic comeback at some point. At some point, this is definitely happening. It, like somewhere in like you know Dumbo and Brooklyn. Let's give it like four, eh, like three years. It feels like they're you know everything sort of makes a comeback. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've been reading uh, over the years. I've read so many takes about like the eighties. Yeah, I feel like the eighties are a really sticky decade. Or maybe I just want it to be since it was like the decade I of my early childhood. I think that's like, I think you probably notice things right. that come out about the eighties more than, yeah, more than other things. Are, are you nostalgic? Cause we're, are, uh-huh. you're a little bit younger than I am. I don't know. I'm 40. I'm going to let you guess. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just uh-huh. trying to guess if we're the right. same era. Like, you know, did you experience right the eighties? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I definitely wasn't like a teenager in the eighties, but I, you know, I remember I had this, um, I had this t-shirt yeah. that had, it was like a valley girl lying on her bed. And then it just had this full, um, like a, like a speech bubble over her. And then I remember very distinctly the first line was like, oh my God, gag me with a spoon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the age. It just went on. But, but I feel like. That was the 80s being so self-conscious about itself, you know? Right. Already knowing yeah, how sticky yeah, it was. Exactly. Um, so, okay. So, Florida running a Chinese mm-hmm. restaurant. Yes. And uh, are, you guys are Chinese? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, did you experience Gainesville? Like, did you have, like, memories of it or you were still really young? I then? was so young. I mean, I just remember, like, huge thunderstorms, riding my bike a lot. Bits Stuff and pieces. like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from uh, from there to where? To California? No. From there we moved to Pittsburgh. Okay. Very briefly. Like a year. <laughs> uh, my dad took some classes at Carnegie Mellon, I think. Something like that. <laughs> and your, your dad got a degree in nuclear physics. Perhaps. That he never, yeah, that you he know, never he used. might have. <laughs> um, and then we lived in New Jersey for a few years. And then California. Wow. Yeah. So moving around mostly for school stuff or in between school, this Chinese restaurant gig. Yeah, my parents were kind of finding themselves. Right. You know. I'm still trying to find yeah. myself. 
and then you get to California and you're mm-hmm. raised in the Valley. Yes. And what was that San like Fernando for you? San Fernando Valley. San Fernando Valley in the eighties and nineties. It was very, very hot. Yeah. I mean, it was so hot in it's a way getting that hotter. it's, yeah, yeah, it's getting hotter again. So for people listening, you know, Los Angeles, as most people imagine it is, um, it's like kind of on one side of the Santa Monica mountains, right? Is that right? I, I've lived here for 15 years and I'm probably fucking this up, but yeah, like there's a, there's basically mountains. Yeah. <laughs> like the Hollywood sign is on those mountains mm-hmm. on one side of the mountains is the Los Angeles basin. On the other side of those mountains is the San Fernando Valley. Correct. I don't, I don't actually, I'm not sure. You're I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. So let me make this. We should go back to geography class. Let me make this simple but, for my listeners. Basically, mm-hmm. Uh, the basin on one side of the mountains is about 10 degrees cooler typically yes. than the valley. The valley that, that I'm sure of. Yeah. yeah. Even, even though they're geographically very close, the valley, because mm-hmm. I think it does not get as much ocean breeze. Right. Tends to be a lot hotter. And it gets, so for, somehow it gets sort of like a desert heat system gets trapped in there. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Woodland Hills is actually the hottest place in Los Angeles County. Ugh. And it's something to do with those, you know, yeah. it doesn't get the air. I'm not surprised. Right. So, uh, what part of the valley are you from? Uh, from Northridge. Okay. Yeah. So that's hot. It's <laughs> out there. It's hot in every sense of the word. <laughs> yes. Did you have a nice childhood out there? Cause it's also idyllic. I mean, let's, I know mm-hmm. it's hot in the summer, but right. it's also lovely. It's always sunny from about now until mm-hmm. May or mm-hmm. June. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. 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 I mean, Yes, I had a great childhood. I mean, my childhood was mostly a lot of like hanging out with friends, skateboarding, riding. You were a my... skateboarder. Yeah, I mean, not okay. Let's no, let's not overstate this. No half pipes. I, I no, but I did skateboard as a mode of transportation. You that, know, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I skateboarded, like I rode a bike. Yeah. So until what age? Uh, until around probably like eighth grade. Oh, okay. Then I was, that could make a comeback like the poo poo platter. I could, could. I see a skateboard in your future because I, I would love that. I actually bought a longboard about you did eight or nine years ago. And have you been on it? Have you been using it? No, I was like, I, I got it for exactly that reason. I was like, yeah. you know what? When I just want to go up to the corner store, get, right? I'll Why not just, just ride a skateboard? Yeah. But I found that I wasn't good enough at it. Well, like, yes. Okay. And the sidewalks were too uneven. And the I was sidewalks like, are so uneven, which somehow I think like. Honestly, when I was younger, I just was very fearless. I was physically pretty fearless. Like I could, you know, I could go on a roof and not be scared. I skateboarded over like all these broken sidewalks and no didn't, problems. didn't think twice about it. I, I used to go boogie boarding. I was, I'm a terrible swimmer. And at that time I basically couldn't swim, but I would go boogie boarding like out. I'd like paddle out past the break. I just wasn't scared. You felt immortal. Know. Yeah, yeah, and then and you when realize you say you're a terrible, die. When you when you say you're a terrible swimmer, like uh-huh. today, yeah. if I threw you in the ocean, would you be okay? You, like for a little while, <laughs> but, <laughs> but hopefully you'd rescue 30 me. Thirty seconds, too. you're good for thirty seconds. But you can swim. You can tread yeah, water. Yeah, I can. No, I can swim, but I can really only do one stroke. I can't figure out how to breathe. Like I can underwater. <laughs> What's wrong? Yeah, with isn't you? that what you guys are all doing <laughs> down there? That's... That's oh. what I've been trying to figure out all this time. Um, but you can, yeah. So, but you're not, are you scared of water? Like a little op- bit. Like water? I have a little bit of just sort of existential fear of the ocean. It's so big. Yeah. I mean, God only knows what's down there. Too. 
you know, I always say that one, you know, like, like, just please don't let me go as a meal. I don't want to be eaten. Right. I don't want to be eaten alive. <laughs> like I, you know, yes. I know that fate can be cruel. I know that nothing right. is guaranteed in this life, but like, if I can just avoid that, like, yes. I don't want to be eaten alive. What's, what's your hope that you die quietly in bed? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, in my sleep, I think mm -hmm. that would be nice when I'm yeah. like 112 or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like a nice, like a nice long life. I mean, I think that's what yeah, most yeah, yeah. of us want. I think so. Though there are some people who are like, no, it's too long. I want to be out of here by the time I'm 70 or whatever. But oh, yeah. That confuses me. I mean, I feel like 112 feels a little old to me just, just for health reasons. Like if I'm perfectly healthy. Well, that's the thing I want to have like, and this is the other thing to okay. kind of loop back to, uh, health concerns mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, your mother and I, and I think you, you yeah. know, our, our shared concern for, uh, -huh. uh, healthy eating or whatever is that. You know, uh, I've been, I've been a healthy eater pretty much my entire adult life. Right. And I some, sometimes get into conversations about it and I, and uh -huh. I always make sure to say that it's not that I think by doing this, I'm guaranteeing myself of anything. Mm -mm. Like I could get sick and die next mm -hmm. year, tomorrow, five years from now, who knows? There's no guarantees in life, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. um, I want to have a high quality of life mm -hmm. for however long I'm here. Yeah. And I think it does increase your odds of, uh, extending your life if you take care of yourself. Totally. My reasons are way more shallow. What <laughs> yours? I like clothes. Yeah. Well, that too. But I know I should say that that's a, that's a part of it for me too. Like I, right. I get very depressed if I feel like I'm not, uh, if I'm carrying too much weight. Yeah. Or like I have to feel a certain way in my body in order mm -hmm. to feel, um, the kind of energy level that I want. And mm -hmm. I don't know. And I think like it's, a, it's also a function of habit. I mean, there's vanity, but then right. there's also like, you get used to a certain mode of living. Yeah. Yeah. And like certain things that you can do. And, right. But I also, well, I don't know. So I'm, for those who can't see us, I'm sitting here in like workout clothes at the moment because I just went to this exercise class and you know, you go to the, I don't know how many classes like that you ever take, but you go to those classes and there's some people who just are nuts. Like they can just, especially wait. in LA. Oh my God. I mean, they can just you know, do everything at like such a high level at such a high rate on and on and on. I can't do that. And, and they're gore. There's some gorgeous people. Like I go to these spinning classes yeah. and I'm just like, uh, you know, and people laugh. Like I have friends of mine. Mm -hmm. I had a friend of mine say the other day, like, I can't believe you of all people do spinning. Oh, but it's so fun. And, and it takes 45 minutes. Yeah. And you I get can, really sweaty. I can, yeah, I can get there and back. Yeah. I can do, you know, it's just, it's yeah. really what I can do right. as a, a function of time. Right, right, right. But you know, you go to some of these classes or you go to a yoga class in LA yeah. or Pilates or whatever it is that you do. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of like strangely attractive people in this town. Oh yeah. And it's I, part of what makes it enjoyable. <laughs> well, the other thing too, is if I go to the gym, uh -huh. it's mostly gay dudes. Huh. What and, gym, which gym do you go to? Uh, I'm not going to say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter, but you know, uh -huh. I just go to a gym right yeah. around here and, uh, -huh. uh, it's mostly gay men or it feels that way to me Okay, and they take incredible care of themselves right? and they look great. Yeah. And I'm like, God, like, I don't understand how they do it. I mean, some of it's a function of genetics, but then maybe they work out twice a day. They I eat, they eat absolutely no people, carbs. I think there are some people who just for whatever reason, can work out like it's their freaking job yeah, in this town. Yeah. yeah. And so I had, um, one month I decided to, I, sometimes I like to do things for 30 days just, just to like do it. Just <laughs> like what? It's, 
Oh, I once. Um, it, it's usually exercise things. Oh, okay. This is a very health and fitness podcast. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, once I did. Once I took a hike in a different place every day for for thirty days, which was in L.A. Yeah, it was awesome. That's yeah. cool. You can, yeah, yeah. And you could do it. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. There's so many hikes you can go on right. in L.A. But yeah. you got to drive around. Sure. Yeah. But I honestly, I never. The furthest I drove was maybe like an hour. What's the best hike you did in L.A.? Oh. Is there one that you really love? There's so many. I'm sorry. I'm really bad when you, when I'm asked for a favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. It's like nothing I've ever done exists in my mind. Right, right. But you liked them. (laughs) You enjoyed yourself out there. I like the canyons. Um, But so at one point I decided to do this. There's this like class that I did every day for 30 days. Literally at the end of it, I remember walking. I remember just walking down the street and thinking, oh, my legs can actually carry me more effectively now than they once did. So because guess, of all the hiking. Well, uh, for that, it was because I did this class. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But um, but it does make me think like there's this optimal person that we could all be that we're just like yeah. not being, but some of those people are. Some of those people are really well, you know, getting into it. Because like I, I was just tweeting the other day about mm-hmm. you know whether or not a person can change. Yeah. It's a big That's question. A good question. Do you think people can change? I do. But I think it depends on what you're talking about, right? I oh. think... Okay. Okay. So I was going to say, like, yeah. on the one hand, there's, like, people making uh, fundamental personal behavioral changes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like changing personality and, mm-hmm. you know, really becoming new. Yeah. And then there's also physical change. Yeah. I, I definitely know that mm-hmm. people can change physically. Yeah. Because, you know, there's plenty of evidence for it. There are people sure. who go, you know, get gung ho about this yeah, and can lose like a bunch transform. of weight, transform mm-hmm. their bodies, mm-hmm. uh, their energy level picks up. There are people right. who can go from being like sickly or on death's door to being yeah. like a picture of perfect health. Yeah. Yeah. So that's doable. Right. That's interesting to me. Uh huh. But I am skeptical about whether or not people, there's a part of me like, do I believe in free will? I've read things that while seeming confusing. It's not easy stuff to understand, Mm -hmm. but it sort of seems convincing that free will doesn't exist. I go back and forth about that. So what is it? It's just like all a function of our gut biome. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Our gut biome. We just got to eat lots of probiotics. um, But no, but it's like, you know, Mm -hmm. you're sort of hardwired. Right. And, you know, you think you're making decisions based on free will, but there are Mm -hmm. actually all these other, you know, there's all this like this... um, this concentration of factors, both internal and external, right. and you're basically just like a puppet. I mean, uh, I think it depends on your definition of free will, right? Do you think that free will is just you as a solo actor taking in no influences whatsoever and like, like almost like being a gunman in like a single player game, you no, know? I don't like, believe do you think that. that's free will? I don't think, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it's possible. reality. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know. So I guess the point though, is that I'm skeptical about whether or not I can really change. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm basically the same person I've always been. Well, are there ways that you want to change? Yeah. I mean, I've tried to change uh, a lot over, you know, I'm always working like on myself, uh-huh. you know, like trying to be, um, more, uh, like, like calmer, trying to mm-hmm. be kinder, trying mm-hmm. to be less reactive. Yeah. You know, all the things you don't that feel like those things have changed as you've gotten older. I like to think I've made some progress. Okay. <laughs> um, but I also think that I've always been wired to work on myself. Like, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Like I've yeah. always been interested in every, I can going back to like when I was a kid, right. 
you know, this is, this is all of a piece with me. It's not something mm-hmm. that I sort of came to later. And, mm-hmm. um, like, I mean, do you feel like you've ever made like a really significant shift in your life in terms of who you are and how you operate? Yeah, totally. When, how? I mean, I think that when, I think when I was younger, I was not a very empathetic person. Huh. And I think it wasn't that, um, this was when you thought you were immortal. <laughs> this is when I know, but it's true. I mean, that's, that's kind of part of the same thing, right? Yeah. So it wasn't that I like wanted, you know, I never wanted to, I never had, like, I've definitely never had that thing where I like want to make others feel bad or anything like that. Like okay. I never want anyone to feel bad, but I definitely, when I was younger, you know, I mean, look, I was very lucky. I had like two parents who really loved me. Any yeah, siblings? Yeah. I have a younger sister, okay. a younger sister who I really get along with, like huh. no worries about whether I'm going to have any food to eat. And also like no real physical ailments as a kid and all of that. Right. So I was like, and I had made friends easily and everything. So I remember like thinking about other people and being like, I don't get it. Like, why don't they just be nicer and they'll have friends or like, why don't they just like work a little harder? They'll do better in school. Like, why don't they, you know, I was just like very, and I didn't, it wasn't that I, I never, at least I didn't try to God, like what make an them asshole. feel bad about it, but I probably did come up, <laughs> come off as an asshole sometimes. Well, you're you also, know? you're also a kid. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Was this pre-literary you like did this predate this type of behavior predate your serious immersion in books and reading? No, no, definitely not. I mean, this was like, I would say this was like junior high, high school. But Pro- and during that time you were reading. Oh yeah. yeah Cause yeah, I was yeah. like, I, was I mean, a huge I, reader. it's overstated, mm-hmm. but I think like, you know, reading does help develop like empathy muscles. Absolutely develops empathy. Yeah. And so, but you were, mm-hmm. you felt like you were lacking in empathy, even as you were devouring I, I don't books. think I realized that I was lacking in empathy, you know? And then, um, I actually remember this is, oh my God, this is so ridiculous. This is so like, uh, well, I'll just, I'll just tell you the story and you can, you can define its ridiculousness for yourself. Um, I was in the Philippines Okay. And it was, I was teaching English in Japan after college and, uh, we took this trip to the Philippines and I was in kind of a hostel and I was downstairs, um, buying, I was going to buy some water and I, I really like to do like small scale calculations in my head and like figure out, you know, what the best deal is. And how to get to the number 14. Yeah. And and how to get to the number 14. (laughs) Exactly. Um, even if like, it's really only going to save me three cents. You like to haggle? You haggle with people? I love to haggle. You're a good haggler. (laughs) I, I enjoy it and I'm not like super attached to the outcome. So it's, it's a game. So it's fun. Yeah. 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 Um, but so I was standing there, like there were, there was this, there were maybe like four or five different sizes of water bottles and there were different prices for each one. So I was like trying to decide whether it made more sense to buy the biggest one or two of the smallest ones or whatever. Um, and I was, and as I was standing there, like calculating in my head, the girl behind the counter was like, you know, she looks at me and she's like, no matter how much money I save, I'm never going to be able to go anywhere. (laughs) I remember just 
I don't know. It was just one of those moments where like, it wasn't that obviously it wasn't that I didn't know that this was true. And I'm also not from like a particularly wealthy family, even though I write about a very wealthy family, it's definitely not my experience. Um, but I remember standing there and looking at her and just thinking, Oh my God, <laughs> you're right. That is true. And just by the, like the luck or lack thereof yeah, of your birth, it's just luck. It's, yeah. it's all luck, right? you know, it has nothing to do with value or achievement or like what you've done to get there or any of it. Yeah. It's totally luck. Um, and I, I honestly, I mean, whatever, it wasn't like an overnight change, but I do that moment definitely stuck with me for a long time. Isn't and it weird how a moment that's like that yeah. relatively small oh, yeah. can really have that big of an impact. Yeah. And I maybe mean, you had been building towards it or you had been, maybe. and that was the thing that kind of put yeah. you over the line. It's the kind of thing that, that like brought it into sharp relief, you yeah. know, where I just then kind of looking back on it and thinking about people I went to school with or whatever. You know, I don't think that when I was younger, I took other people's maybe challenges or difficulties to heart or to, I didn't think about it yeah. that much, which I guess is part of what empathy is. And now I just feel like perhaps a little over empathetic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and it's funny cause like, you know, there's this, uh -huh. the old phrase, like everybody's fighting a hard battle. Yeah. Which, and and then it can also be a situation where like, uh -huh. you know, you are the one mm -hmm. who is having a hard time and pe right. people don't seem as empathetic as you would hope they yeah, would. Like, yeah. And what I can sometimes find myself thinking is mm -hmm. they don't like, know. They don't know. And yeah. everybody's living their own nightmare, Yeah, which that's my joke. You know, like <laughs> everybody sort of is, you know, everybody's kind of trapped in their own little thing and, um, we're all better off. Mm -hmm. I think when we are more outwardly focused and when we can remind ourselves that, um, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm always healthier mm -hmm. when I'm concentrating on people other than me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as opposed to just being like me, me, me and oh right. shit and my thing. And right, you know, right, right, right. I guess that's an obvious point, but yeah, it's easy to get, but it's very true. It's easy to get sucked inside of yourself. Right. You know? Right. Um, what about other pivotal experiences? Like I kind of feel like with people, um, there are usually like a handful of experiences in their lives that feel formative. I can, and it's like, you know, for me, it's like, mm -hmm. like law experiences of loss. Yeah. When I was a kid, you know, mm -hmm. those things really stick to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, travel experiences, mm -hmm. you know, birth of children, meeting of life, those kinds of things. But right. like, are there, uh, are there any experiences from your youth growing up, uh, aside from the experience in the Philippines that you think back on and say, you know, this is, this was really key in terms of how I've turned out or where I am today. <sighs> that is a good question that I may not have an answer to. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure there were, you know, like, why did you write about a wealthy family in your book? Oh, um, well, you know, I really wanted to set the book during the financial collapse and it's a lot more fun to see a super rich family <laughs> fall than it is to see a poor one. Right. Yeah. Right. Set this in the Philippines, <laughs> right. you know, which Not by the way, it seems like a mess. This, this new, uh, Oh man. President or whatever. He's, he seems pretty hostile. 
That was I, I actually watched the the like footage of that um, press conference that he held. Which Duterte was, is that you? Yeah, I think so. Duterte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was frightening when he was like, "Why we reject America?" Yeah, he seems kind of crazy. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. How long were you over there? You were in Japan. Uh, I was in Japan for a year. In Japan for you speak mm-hmm. Japanese? I do not. You do not. I mean, when I was there, I spoke it well enough to kind of... Like two-dimensionally function. Yeah, to kind of like buy things and make very superficial friends. Right. You know? yeah. like, I've, been, I've been there before where you're like able to sort of understand what's being yeah. said, but like you cannot demonstrate your personality in the language no. at all. So you're no. just kind of this flat like presence. smiled a lot. Yeah. You say yeah. yes and no yeah. and good and bad, basically. Yeah. But it's also... It's, I think it was a little confusing to other people because I'm Chinese and you speak Chinese? I do speak Chinese, yeah. Okay. Um and I so I'm very bad at learning languages, but I'm actually like pretty good at pronouncing them. Like or like pronouncing words correctly. So I did um for example, I was able to say, I'm so sorry I don't speak Japanese. Like and it sounded pretty much as fluent as if I just said, I'm so sorry, dude, I don't speak English. Right. You know, you'd be like, uh but you do. Yeah. You sound <laughs> like, like me. You just, yeah. So you're kind of a mimic. Like yeah. You've got a good ear. Yeah. But so I think that was like very confusing. I don't, I, I think about trying to learn a pictographic language mm-hmm. like Chinese or Japanese. Like it just, it seems like a. Oh yeah. Well, I don't, I speak Chinese fluently. You don't write it. But I don't write it. I mean, oh. I write it like the same way a really dumb kindergartner writes it, okay. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like just barely. Just barely. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's cool that you're bilingual, though. Yeah, I'm, en- I'm envious of that. Do you, what what languages you take? I'm like mediocre, Chinese? mediocre Spanish and mediocre French. Mm. So I can get like I'm passable, right? Like, but you know, terrible. Yeah. If you if I was speaking with somebody uh, for whom the language is their you know native, they would be like, okay, you know. But I can English get by. speak English. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just start speaking English yeah. to me. Yeah. Exactly. Let's put this guy out of his misery. <laughs> Pretty much what happens. Um, <laughs> All right. So, but yeah, like no other mm-hmm. huge pivotal experiences you had kind of like... I'm, a, I'm sure there were. It's hard to... But nothing awful. I guess that's what I'm no. fishing for. Like you, you, oh, you're, you're <laughs> looking for me well, to bear my soul you, and tell you about the worst things that have ever happened. Yeah. I, I, but I feel <laughs> like those things are the things that form mm-hmm. us. Well, it's like, it's not like, you know, these, the, the greatest experiences. It's the challenges right. that we faced, you know, like I... Right, right. And um, I'm also fascinated when uh, there are a lot of people out there who lead sort of charmed lives. Like one of my old Mm -hmm. roommates, Mm -hmm. like we were approaching 30. Yeah. She had no experience of death at all. No one had Uh, ever done, no friends, no family members, like grandparents had died, but she never knew them. Right. right, So, I mean, she didn't have any experience at all. And she was almost 30 years old. That seemed astonishing to me. It is. And there are people who get even to uh, more advanced ages. Never have any experience at all. They they don't lose anybody. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I've been death haunted my whole life. Really? Oh my God. Since I was like a little kid, there was, it was always around me. Mm -hmm. Not, not, you know, in my immediate family. Right. Um, but always very close. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was, and maybe I was just a kid who was super tuned into it. And when it happened, Uh it really affected me, but, Uh um, I don't know. So those kinds of things, but do you feel like you see life differently because of that? Absolutely. Because you always, sure. You know, it's interesting. Um, a good friend of mine, her mother died when she was 14 and after college, um, 
you know, when the rest of us were kind of like floating around, just doing stuff, whatever, like taking a long time, kind of going to Japan, making, going to Japan, <laughs> you know, uh, but just like making our life decisions very slowly. Um, I remember she said to me, to me on the phone one day, she was like, you know, I just, this always makes me want to cry. She said, you know, I just always knew that people could die. Right. So I had to like do things faster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's, that's kind of a blessing though, to have Mm -hmm. a sense of urgency and to live your life. And I think when it's your own parent and they're, they're young and you know, that makes it even more. Right. Yeah. I mean, like that seems like a healthy response because Mm -hmm. you can also go dark and be like, we all die. Fuck it. It's an existential void. Let's like shoot heroin. You know, exactly. Um, I want to ask you another thing about going to Japan. Like you spent your entire childhood in the United States, Mm -hmm. most of it in Los Angeles. Most Mm -hmm. of your conscious childhood was in Los Angeles. Yeah. Very diverse city. Um, there's a lot of, uh, Asian American, there's a big Mm -hmm. Asian American population. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in terms of growing up, um, as a Chinese American in Los Angeles, Mm-hmm. That that would be easier than say growing up Chinese American, I imagine. Yeah. Than in like Indiana, where I'm from. I think so. So, what was it like for you to go to Japan for a year and mm-hmm. to be in a, a country mm-hmm. where everyone's Asian? And do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh the, yeah, it well, was it was really you know. So in in the in the book, um, which I guess we haven't talked about at all. But that's my show. It's okay. I know that is your show. <laughs> it's all about but, health food. But and, I, I know uh, I was death. wondering whether I should explain this before I tell you this, but I'm just going to not explain it. Yeah. Go <laughs> for it. So this, it actually, this actually shows up, um, in the book when there is a trip back to China. Um, the, so, so basically when I, I remember being in Japan and, and, and thinking, oh, like, like the Asian people do everything because <laughs> we're all because you know it's it's interesting. Like growing up in America, I think of myself as Chinese, I think of myself as American, and I also think of myself as Asian. You know, there's like three different. You have a cat, a little cat visitor. That's my daughter. <laughs> she's very cute. Yeah, she's going to interrupt us. Anyone dressed up as a cat was also Asian. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was like in Japan. Um, yeah, because Japan mm-hmm. fascinates me. I've never been there. It's a place I really want to go. Oh. But at the level of style. Yeah. Like fashion. Amazing. In, it's incredible. Oh, yeah. And uh, it seems very alien. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's so different and distinct than well, any... Like, look at me. I mean, you know, like these, like I feel like there's... People are wearing, like, metallic fabrics and maybe it's just what i see it's what i see on tv i feel like i feel like that's kind of like you know i don't know like 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 if you had to if you had to like clothe some aliens in the 80s or something let's just just put them in metallic fabrics (laughs) parachute pants it's just it's just like my media like the mediated version of Uh japanese youth culture especially right 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 you know it just seems very distinct to me no it is i mean there are but there's so many forms of it like there's so many it's that's part of what's fascinating is there are like so many different forms of japanese youth culture it also i think that um japan definitely blows a lot of like whatever i think it you know, Asian stereotypes in America are so dumb anyways. And then, um, it definitely, you know, you go to Japan and there's like, I mean, you go to any country or you just 
stay in America. And this is also true that there are a million Asian people being completely different in, in every way, shape right. and form, but not but, everybody in Japan is wearing metallic fabrics. Exactly. Let me state that for the record. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I will say that I, I remember getting there and thinking like, Oh, all the garbage men are Asian. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Although my dad was actually a garbage collector when he was in college or in grad school here. What did this man not do? I feel like he's lived a lot of lives. He's lived a lot of lives. It's true. (laughs) It's true. Now, which like, uh, Mm -hmm. where does it trace back to in terms of the generations? Like who came over? Did you, they, my parents came over for graduate school, but they met here. They met here. Yeah. Okay. So they're, that means what your first generation. Yes. Cause you're the first, you were first to be born here. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. So yeah, that's like, uh, I guess I'm second generation. So you're, no, I'm third generation. Third generation. Your great grandparents. My great grandparents on my dad's side came okay. over, met on the boat on really? the way over. Yeah, on the way over from Sicily. They met on the boat and got That's married. So you know, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. the, the, my great grandmother was probably like 15 years old. <gasps> oh. They my they got married. How much older was your great grandpa? He was like 18. Oh, okay. He was five foot two. Really? I just learned this. Uh, my dad and I went on like a father-son trip uh-huh. earlier this fall. Your family's done a good job of getting taller throughout the generations. <laughs> nice the, job. I'm the anomaly. I'm <laughs> basically six feet tall, but I'm the tallest in my family yeah. by a, a good margin. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the American dream. That Brad. is the American dream. But Our children will be taller. Five foot two. My That's great little. That's teeny yeah. tiny. Yeah. You know, for a man, I, yeah. mean, I feel like most men, like mm-hmm. a short man's usually like five, five or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but yeah, they came over, met on the boat and I think we're married when he was 18. She wow. might have, she might've been like 16 years old. They were so little, little and young. But so nice that they had like someone to face America with. Well, imagine, I mean, mm-hmm. I imagine that circumstance. You're on this yeah. boat. You don't speak a word of English. Yeah. You're like, where the fuck am I yeah. going? Yeah. Uh, it was not, it was, you know, people didn't leave Sicily in those days because things were going well. Right. Exactly. Like basically like a famine. Right. I think they were escaping. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, then you're on this boat. You're like, I guess I'm going to go to a totally new country. How can you imagine? And, and also that was a time at, like, I go to dinner and I Google it and read Yelp reviews and like, think about what I'm going to eat before. Like they came to a whole country and, and didn't know a thing. Like yeah. that is... I don't know. That really and moved down to so South to Louisiana in the bayous. Yeah, of all places. Of all places, I'm so fascinated by that. By what the bayous? Yeah, by that area. Have you been down there? Yeah, I was actually just down there um, in. Well, I guess you lived in Gainesville, which is sort yes. of swampy. Yeah, not quite the same though. Um, I was there in May, and New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans with Margaret Wappler, who was also a guest on your program. Yeah. Um, and another friend, friend of ours, Amanda, um, not a guest on the program, not a guest on the program, but you should have her. She is the Oracle of Los Angeles. What's her name? Amanda Yates Garcia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Writer. Yeah. Yeah. She's fantastic. Why is she the Oracle of Los Angeles? That is both her job and her calling. (laughs) What does that mean? Brad looks very bewildered right now. (laughs) (laughs) What does does this mean? She's, she's an artist. Okay. She is, I like to call her an art witch. Um, she, she does work that deals with spirituality and the occult and witchcraft of all sorts. Oh my God. Sign me up. Get her over here. Yeah. Let's all talk to her. She has a coven. No, but she, well, I don't, I don't know. I should let her answer that question. Are you in the coven? I don't 
I'm not sure. Isn't it, if it, she has one, I'm in it. Is that the right use of the term? A coven's like a team, right? It's like a witch team? Yeah, sort of. It's like a group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm not... It's like a witch squad. Yeah. It's a witch squad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel um, like witches... It's a thing right now. I feel like the witches have been ascendant for the past couple of years. They have. They have. Yeah, you should tell totally the doctor. She's a fun conversation. So you were down there. And by the way, that's... A, mm-hmm. If you're into the occult and everything, that's oh, a yeah. good play. The New Orleans... And you're with yeah. somebody who's a uh, yeah. oracle. Yeah. That's somebody... You want to have that person on your team when you're it in was, New Orleans. It was really fascinating. Was that part of the reason for the trip was to go check out like voodoo culture and no, all that kind I of stuff? I just kind of wanted to take a trip. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but there's like so much that's that's so appealing about, about New Orleans, yeah. you know? Um, but yeah, so we, I mean, mostly we, um, hung out in the city. We knew a couple of people there. Um, so that was really fun, but we also took one of those swamp tours, which is, you know, you got to do it. I loved it so much. I've been to New Orleans probably, Uh I mean, 40 times at least in my life. I've been there a lot because my folks are from down there and Uh I've never done a swamp tour. Really? Yeah, but. But if you lived on the bayou, did you just like... I mean, yeah. I mean, I've been... I've, I've driven through. I've seen a million bayous. But you've never been on a boat? I've never gotten on a boat what? and gone deep into the bayous. To my great regret. Next time. Brad. I always have family shit going on. You gotta do it. I gotta do it. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's like... I'm, it's just a landscape that I've never really seen before. It's, it's a whole be- different... It can be really beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. So like deeply green. Mm-hmm. You know? In a in a way that is almost alien to me as someone who essentially grew up in Southern California. It's just <laughs> like, like a barren a desert, completely different way of, of like being nature. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And the humidity and everything else, but it freaks mm-hmm. me out to think of these people who live way de- you know, way back in there mm-hmm. in the, on those houses <laughs> with stilts. Like mm-hmm. it's a different, yeah, that was fascinating. It's a different way of life. And especially now yeah. in the age of uh, climate change and big hurricanes. Well, yeah. And, what's going to happen to them? Those houses are going to get wiped out. Well, all those outer, like the wetlands, the yeah. destruction of the wetlands out there, both by the fossil fuel businesses uh-huh. and by the uh, climate change hurricanes, like these right. big, massive storms, you know, once you lose those uh, wetlands, which right. serve as a sort of protective barrier, mm-hmm. Then I think the, you know, the southern part of the state becomes that much more vulnerable. Oh. And, oh, and then, and can, then, yeah. Cause the, you know, they, you know, when those storm uh, surges blow in mm-hmm. those wetlands were kind of breaking the tide a little bit. Right, right, right. And without those, they just come in unimpeded. What's happen? Yeah. And then there's, then there's the issue of just the rising seas period. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, if I want to like get really bleak, I'll go look yeah. at those like projecting, you know, those projection maps. Oh God. And yeah. it's like the, the whole, you know, my dad's hometown is gone. Right. It's not going to make it. I mean, when you look at those things, I mean, everything is, go- you know, Los Angeles is floating out of the ocean. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was just awesome. None of it is left. Here yeah. you go, kids. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, have a good time. <laughs> Hope you know how to swim. <laughs> yes. Oh man. It's a bummer. So let's talk about you in writing. Let's get <laughs> that's a, that's a, that was a really, that was a really uplifting lead in. <laughs> World is dying. Yeah. Let's write a book. Let's write some shit about yeah. it. Yeah. What did you, how did you get into this? Were you always uh, headed? Th- I mean, it sounds like uh-huh. you were, but uh, you said earlier you were reading as a kid. So mm-hmm. it was that when you started to think you would do it or did you come to it later? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I I definitely was a huge reader as a kid. Like, I remember I used to I used to go to the library and get like a giant stack of books, and then I'd lie down, I'd put the books like by my bed, and then I'd I'd read a book and then put it on the other side of the bed until they were all you know there was a giant stack on the other side of the mattress. Um, I. I think, you know, when I went to college, I took some writing workshop classes and mostly wrote short stories and wasn't that, like, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't that into it. Um, and then I was a journalist for for several years. Um, and then at a certain point, I kind of decided, okay, I want to write a novel. What were you doing journalistically? Um, all sorts of things. I wrote a lot about architecture and design. Um, I wrote, I worked for a magazine called Metropolis, um, which mostly is you kind of, you know, write about the world through the lens of design. So like how we live in cities, how the built environment affects people, like all kinds of things like that. It was really, it was really great. I feel like I learned a lot on that job. Um, and then I you learned a lot about writing everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like how to find a story, like talking to really talking to people who are kind of at the very top of their game. Like, um, like for example, I got to, um, well, I think also very famous architects and designers are still not kind of like very famous actors in that, like they're much more willing to just engage on a human level yeah, they're not as they don't get that kind of right. worship you and, can access them yeah 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 especially if you're working for like a exactly a, like a, a respected magazine. magazine yeah yeah so it was just very cool to get to talk to people um although sometimes for example when i interviewed frank gary he did not want to talk to me at all about his i can't even remember which building it was he didn't want to talk about that at all but he did it wasn't that he didn't want to talk he totally wanted to hang out he wanted to talk about fashion because he's very interested in fashion just from from like an intellectual standpoint which is pretty cool and he also really wanted to talk about um manduka honey manuka manuka Manuka. (laughs) no brad and angie he did (laughs) what were his feelings on brad and angie Oh, because um, Brad Pitt's very into architecture, yeah. and I think as a friend of his, or at yeah. least like they're you know they were friendly, yeah. they were friendly. Now I feel like I'm maybe betraying a confidence. Um, he, I mean, I guess Frank Gehry knew I was a reporter. <laughs> um, you know, he was not optimistic about their prospects. Hmm. Yeah, he knew he was a fan of Jen. This was a long time ago. He's Team Aniston. He was he was Team Jen. <laughs> he was. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. I think he he admired Angelina, but he just you know, right, wasn't sure whether Brad would be able to hang on to handle her to handle her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't know. I guess it seems like I mean, relationships are hard anyway. Mm-hmm. But then you throw like mega fame into the mix. Oh yeah, how do you even? You can't like go out in public and yeah. Without everything being insane. Right. It's got to be really fucking hard. I think it seems terrible. And like, I think truly terrible. It does. And yeah. it, it's, it's a, and, and it's a weird thing mm-hmm. because, I mean, I guess Brad Pitt, I mean, he did the oceans movies mm-hmm. and they did really well. Yeah. Fight club, I think did somewhat well, but it wasn't like a giant box office hit. Right. She really has never, what I mean, what Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. I don't know. It just, it doesn't, it Uh, seems like the level of their fame is not commensurate with their box office success. It's like their beauty 
It's and commensurate with their beauty. It's it's like yeah, <laughs> right? it's like it's like something about <laughs> yeah. It, it's fascinating to me how it, mm-hmm. th- this amount of fame and attention, um, you, you know, has been bestowed upon them. Yeah, or that somehow they attracted. Right. And I guess they cultivate it. I mean, sure. They, I mean, it's not like it just yeah. happened. They, yeah. They cultivate of this. Of course they do. But uh, it's just like this impossibly beautiful couple. Everyone wants to watch it. Having like six kids. And... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it is a fascinating story. I was thinking about, uh, we were talking about wine, but mm-hmm. I think before we came on yes. the yeah. air, but they had, uh, they had this French chateau, Brad and Angelina. And I know. Brad, in addition to being a fan of architecture, also dabbles in, uh, he's a venter. Well, I, I will say that is one of my, uh party tricks, I guess, for lack of a better word, is sometimes I'll bring a bottle of... Miraval. They make a rosé called Miraval yeah, that, I'll, that I'll bring and say, guys, it's Brad and Angie's yeah, rosé. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great like, party favor. But yeah. um, I was thinking about Miraval, uh-huh. and I was thinking like, well, should I be buying cases of this as like oh, a collector's item? Like, is it a collector's maybe, item now? Maybe. Because it, it's going to be... I think it's going to be finite. I can't imagine yeah. it's going to continue. I have, a, I have a feeling it'll be discontinued. I think that's probably true, but also, Brad, do your listeners know that you're serious about wine? <laughs> I'm not serious about wine. I don't know that much. <laughs> I enjoy wine. And they do know. They In do his know. new garage, he has a wine fridge. <laughs> a small one. Um, but yeah, it's no. I, filled with wine. I don't think that I don't think that uh, rosé keeps that long. I don't think you can have uh, like a bottle of rosé. I think that's true. I think you have to kind of drink it. Yeah. That kind of screws up my uh, theory. I, I, I'm obsessed in, mm-hmm. with making lots of money on something really stupid like that. Oh. Like I was talking yeah. to, uh, I was talking to. It just seems so fun to do that. Yeah, like Meredith. Because and the other thing too uh. is that it fucking happens. Oh yeah. Like there's the guy who's a visual artist, very talented. He's uh-huh. from, uh, he's from uh, L.A. I think he grew up in. I K-Town. know who you're talking about. You, what's his name? Danny Cho. Right. He painted the Facebook offices. I know. Yeah. And he got, got like a hundred thousand stock, stock yeah. And, yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. He got these like founder shares essentially. Yep. That when, that when Facebook went public turned out to be worth like a hundred million dollars. Yep. Yeah. I actually interviewed him pre that, like God. way before that. That dude. Yeah. That's what I want. Something like that. Yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, it's, it's just dumb luck. Total luck. I and mean, he's set for life because he painted a mural on the wall mm-hmm. of the Facebook offices. Mm-hmm. Well, he was smart enough to ask for stock too. He was. Because sometimes you're very unlucky, like that guy who was one of the first people at Apple, whose mom forced him to get a salary instead of taking stock. Uh, oh, that guy. You know? So sad. Yeah. So sad. I'm trying to think. I feel like I've had some near misses. Like really? I don't know. I, I can't even tell you which one, what they are, but they, yeah. I, I have to have been close to something like that at some point <laughs> in my life. You know, but it's like, and then you think of all the stupid shit in the world mm-hmm. that gets invented, like the chip clip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Somebody gets mm-hmm. a patent on that. Yeah. And that just takes out. Well, do you watch Shark Tank? My favorite show. On I'm aware of Shark Tank, but I don't, I don't watch it. Oh, it's so good. I love it. I yeah. Really, yeah. I probably would too. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I, it's actually a big pain in the ass, I think, to get patents and to get these things mm-hmm. into retail. Well, I was going to say, yes. Like watching that show, you do kind of realize how much work goes into, I mean, it's I don't like, work. it's like writing a novel, you know, you <laughs> I want like... it to be stupid and easy, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, timing too, you know, timing mm-hmm. with, uh, with all of these things, you know, to be, you know, speaking of Shark Tank, like Mark mm-hmm. Cuban, mm-hmm. You know, sold his internet. Like, first of all, was just you know smart enough to get into uh, internet media or right. whatever it was at right. right at that time. Yeah, and then had the uh, the instincts and the good yeah. sense to sell his company right at the peak of the bubble. Right. 
you know, when Amazon literally had just started, like just started, like, like, I don't know, maybe it'd been online for a matter of months. My dad was like, people will buy anything online right now. Like, Jade, you should just make some t-shirts and put them online and like, you know, look, there's this dude, there's this thing called Amazon. Like, look at this. And I was like, oh, dad, whatever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But. What do you know, dad? Yeah, exactly. Well. But he knew. He knew. Mm -hmm. Trying to think of like, Snapchat's going to have an IPO. I might go big. How how. How are you going to get in on that? I don't know. I'm, gonna, I'm just going <laughs> to just invite that guy in. Yeah. Well, I mean, but I mean, you can buy stock. And if you look at the history of like, you know, the IPOs. Well, you can't buy pre-IPO stock. No, but still, like you look at the IPOs for Facebook, mm-hmm. you look at the IPO for Google. Right. Those share prices doubled and have more than doubled since then. So like if you can yeah. get in on day one of post-IPO and just sit on it. Yeah. And no, all the kids true. seem to be interested in Snapchat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all my millennial friends are snapping. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like they're, you know, this is one mm-hmm. thing that I think to try to make this more, uh, germane, you know, or bring, to bring it back to writing is that sure. most of the time people in writing, and mm-hmm. I think maybe in the arts yeah. are not savvy in the ways of, uh, money and finance. You, they, you sometimes they are, uh-huh. but like, you know, uh, I guess I, I'd like to think that like, oh, I can be smart. I can outsmart the system, right. but that right. might just me be me dreaming. Well, I, I, cause I don't think it's. Sometimes it's smarts, but like we said, most of the time it's luck. Yeah. Like, it was his name, Danny Cho? What's his name? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Danny Cho. The guy who David Cho, David David, Cho. David Cho, yeah. David Cho, C-H-O-E, yes. Ugh. Yeah. I want to meet that guy. (laughs) I just want to say, I just want to take him, because I've seen him interviewed and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. He seems carefree. Well, he is now. (laughs) He's like in Vegas. He's got lots of tattoos. He doesn't give a shit. That's awesome. I don't know. He's still an artist. He still has like... He's still a human being. He's still an artist. But but, I mean, truly, he's still like making work. So... Well, yeah. He still has like... Having fun. Real things to think about. Answers to no one. That is that is the dream. Except Mark, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. No, he doesn't even have to answer. You sell those shares, you know, literally answers to no one. You're done. Yeah. God. So uh, what's your plan? How are you going to get to where you, you know, uh, you're uh, answering to no one? I guess, I don't know. If you're writing a book, you're not answering anybody but yourself Ah. and your publisher. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of true, right? You're just, um, uh, if I were a different kind of writer, I would say that you're answering to the characters, but I don't actually think that's true. (laughs) I think, I think they answer to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is, you know, obviously we live in a town where people are screenwriters and TV writers. And I think that they definitely, often wish they could have the luxury of writing a novel where, but we wish we could get paid like that. Oh yeah, totally. Of course. Or like some of them do. Mm -hmm. But the thing is the people in TV, I mean, increasingly like I know you, they're not getting that kind of money. No. And it's like when there's a good, when there's a gazillion places to put a show up, right. Eventually that money is going to go down. It's going to go down. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I know, but they have like the guild and they're unionized. Yes. makes me wonder like, why are authors not unionized? I mean, I know there, I think there is like an author's guild or something, but there's not like a union. Like we're not. Well, cause there's no standard mode of distribution, right? Like, yeah. like it makes sense on TV shows. You're either writing a half hour or an hour. Like there is, there is a kind of, and, and it's picked up for particular, like a 13 episode run, a whatever, 22 episode run. Like yeah. it's picked up. They're very particular parameters, but 
you could write a thousand word novel. You could write like a 97 word novella. I mean, page novella. Right. Um, a 97 word novella. That sounds, <laughs> sounds awesome. It's the David Cho version. <laughs> <laughs> Sells a billion copies. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. I guess it's just, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's just pie in the sky, but it seems nice to think. I mean, that's, uh-huh. if you have some sort of union scale and you can get a guaranteed wage benefits the way they do it. You think so? Wait, so what would that be? So then like anyone who wants to be a not, like, how would you get into the union? Would you have to have published at least one book? Yeah. Just like, yeah. Just like TV credits. Does it work if you self-publish a book? Can no. you get into the union? No. Okay. So you need some outside entity, small press. Cool. Certain ones. Oh, well, but I mean, like a very exclusive union. No, but I mean, I think like, but I'm just trying, I mean, I'm trying Uh to, I think I'm trying to play devil's advocate. I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be fair to the, uh, distributors and the publishers, you know, it can't just be like, right. Cause they're going to have their say, but it's like, if you have a a distribution deal shop, if they're a union shop, then like, like a guild signatory in in Hollywood. So they would take the novel under like particular, so there'd be like, there'd be like a set advance for a first novel, like another set advance for a second novel, provided your first novel is sold a certain amount, like that kind of thing. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of making things better. I rebel against that. Um, there's just too many books. It's too, and maybe this is what will happen with TV. Eventually it'll get so diffuse. They won't be able to have a union. Maybe it's rare that a a union will, you know, let go of an industry. But But, yeah, but this, but unions have deteriorated, you know, they have mm -hmm. gone away in the the United Mm -hmm, States over mm -hmm. the, over my lifetime. Yeah. So who knows what'll happen, but, uh, do you pay attention to Hollywood? Like as a writer, I mean, you, you have, you have a journalistic background, you've written a novel, Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and you grew up in the Valley I mean, yeah. you have to, you've been sort of around it your whole life. Yeah. 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 I totally do. I mean, look, I actually think that, um, I, I feel like I've definitely absorbed some of those like Hollywood writing tenets that I've found to be pretty valuable, you know, like the whole, I don't actually feel like I work with any kind of like strict three act structure or anything like that at all. But I think kind of, um, the value of accessible storytelling, the, the like scenes that move a story along, like all of those kind of very basic Hollywood screenwritery things. Um, I think those can be helpful because I think that when you write a novel, there's even if, I mean, I didn't get an, an MFA, but I think that, um, there isn't a lot of, you know, like this often seem to be a little more philosophical as opposed to practical. What the, like te- the teaching of writing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think I mean, it, I, I've had this conversation before in, in this very context where you're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, screenplay versus novel and also genre fiction versus literary fiction. Like yeah. something to be said for knowing how to just tell a story how to structure it, yeah. how to keep people turning pages, yeah, how yeah. to make it good for the reader and totally not just like an exercise in self-expression for you or exactly. you know, working out some problem or something. Exactly. No, I'm really interested in kind of telling a compelling story Yeah. while, you know, I mean, I like books. I like just in life. I like things that work on two levels. You know, I like things that are really fun and maybe a little larger than life and kind of exciting in, in all kinds of ways. And then also 
have a more serious element, like have, you know, weightier kind of issues or ideas that, and, that and, it deals with. And just reading something that's like gripping mm-hmm. where you cannot yeah. put it down or you can't wait to get yeah. back. It doesn't happen to me. A t- it doesn't happen. You know, it happens infrequently. Mm-hmm. I wish it happened every day, but it, then it wouldn't be special, you know, but right. that's the best. Well, Brad, it's time for you to pick up the wings versus the world. There we go. <laughs> And, uh, I think on that note, uh, I actually have to be somewhere, so I have to get out of here. Okay. Um, but I have so enjoyed meeting you. Me can, too. Congratulations, uh, congratulations on the book. Uh, and I wish you best of luck with whatever's next. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, there you go. That is Jade Chang. Her debut novel, The Wangs versus the World is available now from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. You can find her online. She's got a website. It's the, uh, what is it? Thewangs.com. And uh, she's on Twitter, where her handle is at the Jade Chang. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for the music. And uh, what else is there? God, I'm so tired. <laughs> this might be the most tired I've ever been on a microphone. I know I say that a lot. I really mean it this time. My son has kept us up. Uh, don't forget about the app. This podcast has its own official app. Go there to the app store of your choice. Get your favorite. You know what I mean? I'm not making any sense. I'm lost in a wilderness of pain. Think of me whenever you hear this song, okay? Um, So yeah, get the app. The app is free. Once you have the app on your device, the most recent 50 episodes are are there for you free of charge. New episodes automatically upload to the app. And then if you want to get at the archives, you want to get access to every episode, you can sign up for premium. And it costs as little as 75 cents a month. You can also support the show at the brand new Other People Patreon page. Send me out on the road with a microphone and a dream. You know you want to. Um, Let's see. The election. I'm actually really serious about the election. That's why I didn't want to talk about it. It's like too much. I don't want to give people panic attacks. But here's the here's the gist. Uh, be vigilant and act. Have courage. Speak out. March. Take action. Plan. Don't succumb to, fe- uh, to fear or despair. Don't curl up into a ball. Be nonviolent. Be wise. Be kind, especially to those uh, who are more, you know, more vulnerable than you. And that's it. So I'll be back next week with another conversation with another author. Thanks to Jade Shank. Thanks to you guys. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to bed. Good night. (laughs) 